Yes, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's podcast is on the book Brave Hearts of Bharat, and to talk about it, I have my friend and author of the book, Vikram Sampath. Vikram, welcome. Thank you, Kushal. Always such a pleasure speaking with you. So you know, you you putting everyone to shame. एक के बाद एक book लिखते जा रहा है यार मतलब क्या हो रहा है ये ट excerpts and you have summarized stories of different heroes so first of all how was the shift so let's start with this ye kyo decision kiya you could have gone with one character at a time so ye sudden change kyo kiya pehle to ye nahi i think uh, you know a, a, a biography i always say is like a love affair bahut zyada you know you have to get uh, completely um, uh, involved in one character and takes 4 5 years of effort uh and it i think if a biographer is true to his or her trade uh and craft then you know it takes away a lot of yourself i often say that uh, a part of the biographer dies with you know every biography because you've gone through an entire life the uh highs the lows uh everything that that your protagonist uh, you know goes through so i just wanted to one is do something on a slightly more lighter basis i thought it is going to be a light lighter work uh compared to going um, deep dive into uh, one particular person but later on i realized that this was probably more complicated than that because uh, one is it, it had so many people it had so many different parts of india from you know kashmir to the northeast to south india western india uh, everything outside the periphery of delhi uh, which is normally where the history of india focuses on largely uh and uh, such scanty records uh, though they these were such uh, wonderful people uh, there was there was so little that was available you know normally for many of them and so having to fall back on regional literature and uh, or, oral narratives folklore lot of interviews so it was a different kind of experience rather than going through so i think in the course of this uh, book i think i did a quick bharat darshan of uh, you know meeting different people and cultures traditions and their histories uh, their local customs and all that so it was a hugely learning experience for me uh, some people who read the book told me that you know we uh, we feel a little ashamed to say we knew indian history because many people in the book are names that we never even heard of so i i think uh, uh, that was the whole idea behind this of course uh, i uh, like i write even in my prologue i i'll be pilloried for why did you not pick this one or why did you uh, you know pick uh, x or leave out y so those y's will always be there uh, but i i think i hope you know a, a book like this um, would spur more uh, scholars more writers and historians to work on similar uh, you know uh, themes of bringing to light uh, unsung heroes and heroines from different parts of india and i think the the need of the r is that 
you know what i found fascinating and i i'm not a writer you're a prolific writer but i'm just a reader so when i was reading the first thing that struck to me is like in savarkar right you could have taken the liberty of getting a lot of things in because you had 600 odd pages to play with in one volume each right so but here you are like stuck with a 25 to 30 um page limit right per per personality in the book so how do you decide what to add and what not to that must be so tough <laughs> yes true and sometimes the, uh, the the content was quite a lot sometimes it was extremely sparse and um, for me kushal always uh, you know even in a biography it's always to uh, you know paint the theme around the times also you know in which the character lived uh, most biographies come with the subtitle of life and times of so and so people talk only about the life it's a linear chronological narrative from birth to death uh, but you know what were the times in which this character lived how did that influence their life and decisions and how did they influence the uh, uh, you know the times all of this is seldom covered so in this case uh, the idea was also to build that uh, context you know around which were these dynasties uh, because many of them like karkotas of kashmir nobody would have even heard of these uh such a uh, dynasty ex- existed the metis of manipur and what uh, that actually meant and so on so uh this kind of uh, painting the picture the background uh, so to say to the entire thing that was also very important um uh, uh, so i had to i had to uh, it was a tough task to see what part of it to leave out and how much to take and so on and it was a balancing act to also ensure that one person is not given disproportionate importance over any other uh, you know character hmm. so there are 15 personalities that you have identified in this book which you you know dedicate an individual chapter to now what ties them together is my first question to you so there are 15 diverse personalities different genders different religions by the way it's not like they're all from one religion too you know there are different religions too different time spaces because it's not like a time gap of 300 years and you have cramped people from 300 years the time span is also like 1000 1500 years ka gap in between the personalities also because i was trying you know what i was doing is once you wrote the i read your book na so i was trying to map them ki ha ye ye time frame pe hai ye ye time frame pe hai ye gender hai ye religion and i was looking at the diversity spread I was like, uh, how did he manage to do this first of all, and what ties them together? So, what do you think uh, uh, ties them? Wow, that's a great question because uh, you know they all of them. It 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 would have been very easy to pick. Uh, say, if I pick Lalita Ditya, then also around the same time you had uh, Raja Dahar, almost a contemporary of his uh, from Sindh. You also had people like Nagabhatta, Pulakeshin, uh, all of them who were around the same time. Bappa Rawal, all of these people. It would have been very easy to have one chapter after the other about all of uh, you know contemporaries. Uh, my idea was to ensure to show this thread of resistance, of courage. a never say die attitude which existed for that entire time span from the 7th century till the 19th century when i ended with 1857 that in the face of lots of adversities in the face of attacks in the face of, of invasions how uh, did india and indians actually stand up and resist all these attempts uh, how did we ensure that 
our uh, you know civilization our faiths our freedom uh, was fiercely protected and who were the people who were leading this charge so at in a particular uh, time span uh, they could have been three four so instead of taking all of them from that one cluster of uh, you know 100 200 years yeah, it was good to just pick one as the main uh, you know person and also mention the others like you know in the lalita ditya chapter i do talk extensively about the invasion of sin i talk about the uh, resistance that raja dahar puts um, and how it was so difficult to conquer sind for several you know decades for the arabs and till it ultimately fell to mohammed bin qasim so uh, picking these uh, things was a very subjective decision but for me that was the common thread uh, of courage of valor from lalita ditya to lachit borpokon who you know uh, the classic underdog i think an mba school you know should do a case study on some of these characters uh, like uh, you know everything down and out your chips are down and out how did a uh, the kingdom of the ahoms actually uh, rebuild themselves from scratch uh, strategize in a very calm cool calculated way lie low for a couple of years regroup yourself the manner in which you know that spirit of uh, fight back was organized and then you go for the uh, ultimate kill and what a resounding victory that was with the battle of saraighat in 1671 uh, but at the same time two characters which whom i found uh, people may question why they were included one was ahilya bai holkar and the other was uh, bhagyachandra uh, rajashri bhagyachandra jaysingha of uh, manipur they were not the conventional warriors who went on wars and so on but i think the, the their role in this book in this series becomes important as civilizational heroes who fought uh, who strove i shouldn't say fought who strove for uh, maintaining the civilizational ethos of india ahilya bai through you know her uh, magnificent work of uniting this whole uh, nation uh, through through religion through spirituality and how in distant manipur uh, you know from the time pameba uh, introduced hinduism to the time uh the the madhur bhakti or the krishna bhakti came up as an important form uh, of worship in manipur you have the manipuri ras leela also which was started by bhagyachandra jaysingh so these two characters were that so the common thread was this that you know they were go getters they were they had this never say die attitude and they strove for our civilizational victory whether it be in battlefield or in keeping our uh, civilizational ethos alive itself yeah you know ahilya bai ka i have to uh, just to bolster your point because you share the story in the book so in the book you say all of khanderao's wives nearly 10 more rushed to commit sati but mallar rao prevented ahilya bai from this self immolation as her presence was indispensable in the administration Yeah. key emphasis on her presence was indispensable in the administration maybe we can talk about that what was so special about her so uh, malhar rao holkar was one of the uh, i mean he himself had risen from the ranks of a the shepherd or the dhangar 
caste that he belonged to and then with the uh, uh, you know uh, his proximity to the peshwa uh, soon you know he was among the main chieftains among whom all the saranjam uh, you know the 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 lands that were distributed uh, for the maintenance of armies and for territorial protection uh, the sindhyas the holkars the gaikwads uh, he was one he became one of them and the whole of what is today madhya pradesh uh, you know malwa indore that region came to him and it was only by accident when he was going uh, through a village some day uh, and spent a night there at some uh, somebody's house he saw this little girl who was uh, so shrewd in uh, the way she was dealing with uh, with a particular situation that he was extremely impressed by her and he sought her hand she was barely i think 9 uh, or 10 years old then and he sought her hand for his son khanderao and what is interesting kushal is that as a father in law he realized uh, that this girl was so precocious and that she was talented and so though he got her married he ensured that after he she was in uh, his household she got the best of education uh, she was trained in all aspects of administration finance uh, taking uh, keeping stock of accounts even you know military strategy all of that was something that uh, you know he uh, ensured for his daughter in law and even while he was he had become the apple of the eye of the peshwa and kept rising in the ranks especially with nana sahib peshwa but of course later fell uh, on the wrong side during the third battle of panipat when he kind of uh, came back and uh, people say he betrayed sadashivrao bhav uh, but in the thick of all this action that he was in uh, he was all the time sharing those political correspondences uh political updates about what was happening in the country with his daughter in law his son was given to pleasures he had so many wives he was uh, half the time intoxicated and all that but uh, this man malhara holkar actually trusted his uh, daughter in law much more than uh, his son and so uh, when the son died uh, in uh, one of those battles uh, he and when all the other uh, you know wives committed sati Uh, he prevailed upon her that you know you're the only one uh, to uh, help me at this juncture because the grandson was a infant until he comes of age uh, if you also go away i won't have anybody to support me and so he prevailed upon ahilya bai not to commit sati and so that's why she uh, lived on and thank god for that because if not you know i mean the uh, the indore state might have just collapsed particularly after malhar rao died uh, you know in 1766 or so so after that it was completely ahilya bai's uh, you know um, domain uh, she of course the 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 peshwa's uncle raghobha tried to uh, usurp uh, this place because it was led by a woman but the manner in which she ensured that raghobha was driven away and in fact had to eat humble pie come back and uh, literally sit for a meal with her that also showed that she was Uh, she was a very very strategic uh, woman everything need not always be won on battlefield a lot of the uh, game can be on a chessboard sitting in the in a room which is what she did to ensure that you know raghova came around to her view point so a very very fascinating uh, character and later when her uh, son dies uh, very early exactly. yeah yeah she she kind of uh, says i don't want to adopt anyone i will now rule and so that again becomes a huge issue in the maratha empire till of course the peshwa prevails and uh, allows her to continue with uh, tukoji as uh, somebody who would help her uh, but a very very sad you know personal life 
you know her daughter uh, commits sati though she was, she did not commit sati but she could not prevent her daughter from committing sati when her son in law dies and that kind of shattered her and she led a very very sad uh, life towards the end in 1796 or 97 so uh, around that time she was she she was quite a lonely and sad woman but a beautiful trajectory of a of a life uh, so well led the manner of uh, the, the good governance that she brought to uh, the indore state the as i said the the renovation of so many uh, reconstruction and renovation of so many temples across india all the seven you know uh, uh, puris the 12 jyotirlingas uh, the four dhams uh, from kashmir to rameshwaram to uh, dwarka to puri she she kind of united the whole country uh, through this spiritual renaissance that she did so uh despite that personal life was quite a disaster which was a sad uh, you know part of ahilya bai but you know kushal what uh, amazed me was ahilya bai is there everywhere i mean you go to indore the airport is ahilya bai uh, airport everywhere in indore those uh, you know watching your show who are from indore would certainly know that everywhere the 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 uh, idol of ahilya bai is there you know as a very very motherly figure holding the shivling in her hand uh, like mm-hmm. this but then you if one actually find, uh, goes even to the palace archives i even uh, you know went to the uh, family the holkar family the the archives that are there at maheshwar which was her capital where they have a huge wada now which is converted into a heritage hotel and all that so little documentation about ahilya bai and what she did all that they can talk is you know thanks to her the maheshwari sarees are now <laughs> very famous she got all the weavers uh, stationed there she built these temples but a little more detail about her life about who she was uh, she was so prolific she was educated so didn't she keep any accounts didn't she write her own diaries in times of distress unfortunately uh, didn't find any of those uh, which is so sad uh for someone like her so many of these stories uh, are very superficially known everybody maybe has heard the name ahilya bai if you get in and out of indore you can't miss her you go to gaya you find her uh, statue when the kashi corridor uh, vishwanath corridor was in, uh, inaugurated recently everyone kept speaking about how it was ahilya bai who uh, renovated the mandir which was destroyed by aurangzeb but who was this lady can we have more details about her life where did she come from how was her the trajectory of her life sadly nothing is known uh, much about that and whatever i could uh, you know literally gather uh, pieces from here and there i tried to put those together to uh, kind of give a semblance of her life's uh, journey man what a brave woman considering the time she was in the kind of pressure she was in and her societal reality i mean when i was reading this chapter i think like, how tough was it on this woman and she you know she took it and she made the most of it i mean she she's just fantastic but there's an interesting excerpt you start you state this in the first chapter itself you were talk about the arab cartographer mohammad al idrisi and he says the indians are naturally inclined to justice and never depart from it in their actions their good faith honesty and fidelity to their engagements are well known and they are so famous for these qualities that people flock to their country from every side and hence the country is flourishing and their condition prosperous now this is obviously in the paragraph where you talk about the invasion of sindh now uh, how much of uh, so 
the classic debate uh, i'll tell you why this happens the classic debate vikram has always been that uh how much of it were these invasions was religious zealotry how much of it was uh, the the financial state of india you know one side of the historical paradigm will say it's just they were just in it for the money it is just politics and one side of the paradigm will say oh it was all religious zealotry why can't it be both i have always wondered yeah it was certainly both uh, kushal though uh, the drive to go you know across the world on a jihad was certainly driven by by religion and within within what uh, less than a century maybe a 60 70 years of the death of prophet muhammad uh, the caliphs who came after him uh, they went on a vast global expansion why would they have to do that uh, so and the you know the, the byzantine empire the sassanid empire uh, all these parts of uh, you know syria egypt uh, persia iraq uh, all these regions north africa uh, all of them were islamized in less than a century of the prophet's death uh, and then you know the empire in in no time whole of central asia north africa going up to the atlantic uh, on one side and touching the literally the gates of india on the east this was the entire span of this uh, new force that had begun and it had religio political uh, motivations and the, of course finances to to uh, to get new lands and riches was certainly there but just that was not the driving force that was certainly a part of it but mainly this uh, the 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 religious zeal to crush infidels and to establish the true faith uh, which was the guiding light of their leader and the the book that they revered that became the uh, Uh, uh you know driving force for them to set out into the world and that's where i think the story of india is so uh, interesting kushal that while in such a short span in a couple of decades such vast empires of uh, central asia and um, uh, the uh, uh, the sassanid empire and all of these people were conquered it took the uh, islamic conquest 500 years uh, to actually establish the first islamic sultanate in india so uh, the uh, arabs came and then the turks came so many uh, rounds of uh, invasions the arabs beyond uh, sindh uh, they just could not conquer any significant part of uh, india at that time and even sindh it took them almost uh, something like 80 90 years from 633 or so they be, they kept trying uh, in vain several attacks on uh the sindh borders uh, but they were repelled by the uh, by the raja dahar's family a brahmin family of sindh um, raja chacha and then uh, raja dahar who are mentioned in the chachnama uh and then finally it was only in 710 uh, that when mohammed bin qasim came uh, this one uh, the sindh fell but after that they could have easily gone they tried i mean they tried to go up till kashmir they went into central india they went into uh, uh, ujjain kannauj uh, magadh uh, the bihar and also madhya pradesh all over but everywhere they were defeated and uh, their locus of uh, you know uh, importance was shrunk only to some small little ports here and there in sindh and that also they were eventually thrown out and then about 100 and 
75 or 200 years later, you had the wave of Turkic uh, invasions, starting first with Muhammad of Ghazni, and then of course Ghori, uh, another 100 years later. And that also, I mean, when someone says that someone like a Muhammad Ghazni uh, came only for uh, financial considerations, it's a little uh, being economical with the truth. And I think that's where several of our eminent historians have made this argument that, you know, even in uh, Somnath, uh, it was only the riches that actually brought Muhammad Ghazni there. And and there again, the narrative is, you know, you have the corrupt Brahmin priests who amass so much wealth and they put it up there in the temple. And so the temples became natural uh, objects, the magnets for destruction. Uh, But then what do the uh, original sources say, contemporary sources of Muhammad Ghazni itself, uh, whether it is uh, Al-Baruni later, Farishta and all these other, you know, um, uh, chroniclers, uh, the Islamic chroniclers itself. Time and again, particularly of Muhammad of Ghazni, uh, they say he comes to India. Uh, he's he's heard about Somnath. He he's been told that there is this uh, deity there which is protecting people. And uh, in the life here and the afterlife, and he thinks this is a completely pagan thing. It's an infidel work, and it has to be uh, destroyed uh, as per the dictates of uh, you know his faith. And so he makes that trip. Of course, uh, the the Chalukya ruler who's there in Gujarat that time, Bhim Deva, he uh, runs away, and he and so Muhammad Ghazni has an easy pass uh, to Somnath. But what is interesting is when he goes there in 1025, uh, almost 50,000. He's quite astonished to see 50,000 common Hindus, nobody from the royal family, nobody uh, from the army of the Chalukyas because the king himself has run away. These were common Hindus who had stood up there for the defense of their temple and their deity. And it took him almost a week to kind of uh, kill all of them and make his way inside the temple. And the contemporary chroniclers then say, as he's going into the Garbhagraha, uh, the priests then come running to him saying, you know, if you want only money, you know, we will give you everything that is there in the temple, whatever money we have, uh, we'll get more money and we'll give it to you. Take it and just leave it, leave our place. Uh, We want to protect our God. So Mahmood is supposed to have laughed and said, if I do that, I will be called a a, a trader of idols. I do not want to be called that. I would like to be uh, remembered, my my legacy to be remembered as a butchikan or a breaker of idols. And so he says he disregards this offer of the priests to give him money, instead goes there and, uh, of course, breaks up the idol. It is then uh, pounded into small uh, pieces and powders and then taken all the way to uh, Ghazni and parts of it to Mecca and so on to be put on the steps of uh, uh, the masjid so that every time a faithful steps on it, the religion of the infidel uh, is symbolically brought down. So when the contemporary records are talking this, that, you know, the, uh, the person his driving force was not riches. If it was riches, if the priests are offering him that money, he would have taken that and gone away. But he makes it very clear that I want to be called as Bhutshikan. And all these chroniclers take so much uh, pride that their Sultan actually came and destroyed the idol in Mathura, the idol in Somnath and all of that. So despite primary sources talking to us in this way, we have today's contemporary historians trying to whitewash that and say, oh, but it was only economic considerations. There was no religious 
uh, feeling there, which I think is completely, uh, you know, uh, being economical with the truth uh, for ulterior motives. Yeah, you know, another thing that I I think we should just mention as a passing reference is the spread of Lalita Dutta's empire. That man covered a lot. I mean, in your chapter, you say oh, Tamil Nadu, he went all the way down to Tamil Nadu also. Even Sri Lanka. Yeah, no, I but, mean, no, that I think is a little, I, I myself and Mark Stain, who, uh, you know, translated the Raja Tarangini for the first time, also, you know, marks this out. And I'm also, you know, um, uh, put that disclaimer that it I seems know. like Kalhana, who wrote the Raja Tarangini, was being a little fanciful because we don't have any inscriptions or proof to show that the Rashtrakuta you know, uh, dynasty, which was largely in the Karnataka region uh, of today, was occupied by Kashmir, or there's some influence of uh, Kashmiri seals or some something else. Some inscription would have been there, or in the uh, Tamil land, or even in Sri Lanka. So there is really no. There are some areas like Gujarat um, and Punjab and so on where uh, there there are coins or there are inscriptions which talk about uh, the spread of Lalita Ditya. So, so to that extent too, if you look at what we have today as the geographical uh, boundaries of Kashmir, you still had an empire which went from Kashmir all the way up to Gujarat and also Madhya Pradesh uh, going up to Bengal. That was the span of Lalita Ditya's uh, kingdom uh, because he had conquered Yashobarman uh, from Kannauj and that was the whole of middle India. Uh, and the, the Doab region, the Indo-Gangetic plains, and also the uh, Bihar and uh, Bengal, the Gaud king of Bengal was also vanquished. And on the uh, on the uh, western frontiers, he had gone up to Kabul and Zabulistan um, and made them as his uh, feudatories. So a very, very vast empire for Kashmir, uh, which does show that it, the, under the Karkotas, uh, the dynasty of which Lalita Ditya was a part, uh, it was a massive empire. Kalhana's uh, description of it going all the way to Sri Lanka may have been an exaggeration, but nonetheless, this was much more than how we think of Kashmir today as just that one state, but it was a vaster empire. And this we're talking of in the 7th, 8th, 9th centuries, uh, roughly when the Karkotas were at their peak uh, of their power. Okay, now I want to spend some time on, uh, and, and uh, don't blame me, blame Kamalasan for it. I mean, Oh God, <laughs> I know where you're heading. <laughs> yeah, so so we have to, I mean, because I uh, see, you, you did not know Kamalasan was going to make this statement when you were writing your book, but it is what it is. So, so your book does talk about the Cholas. Now, <laughs> what are the Cholas Hindu? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should have just laughed it off and not given the man so much of publicity uh, because it didn't deserve that kind of a thing. Now, look, I mean, it's it's I just don't know what to say because <laughs> because here was a dynasty which uh, which built some of the most massive structures today we have a gigantic uh, you know thousand plus year old Bhradishwara temple in Tanjavur which is in all its glory the, the one of the longest uh, gopurams that we've had tallest gopurams uh, exquisite uh, architecture de de dedicated to Bhradishwara who Shiva and you say uh, Shaivites or Shiva Bhaktas are not Hindus. That's a separate uh, group by itself. 
I mean, these are the Shaiva uh, Pantha, the Vaishnava, Shaura, or the followers of Surya, uh, then the Shakta um, of, of the Devi, then you had the Kaumara of uh, Kartikeya and Ganapatya or of uh, Ganpati. All these are different streams of the larger, uh, you know, uh, ocean called Sanatan Dharma or Hinduism or whatever else uh, one could call it. There are multiple names. Uh, so while traditionally or, uh, you know, uh, basically these people may have been Shiva Bhaktas, they actually traced their uh, dynasty also to Tiruman, uh, who was Lord Vishnu. And later on, they changed it. And because, mind you, the Cholas actually uh, are one of the long, uh, longest reigning royals, uh, you know, houses of India. Their uh, documented history itself is more than 1,000 years, uh, 1,000, 1,500 years with several breaks in the uh, lineage. There are several waves of the Cholas. So they trace their Adipurush to Vishnu and then to Surya. And then they say we are Surya Vamshis uh, at some point. So all the Puranic kings that we have from Harishchandra to Bhagiratha and all these people they claim as part of their lineage. Uh, then they say, you know, Dasharatha was also part of their uh, lineage. Then uh, obviously Bhagwan Ram was also part of their lineage. So uh, Vishnu and Surya, the other streams of uh, Sanatan Dharma were also very much part of their belief system, even though they were sh uh, Shaivites in, uh, by, uh, by nature. Uh, so they didn't say we we came from Mount Kailas or we belong to uh, you know Shiva's lineage. They took these other groups. And interestingly, their family deity was uh, uh, this goddess called Nishumb Sudhini, who is a form of Durga. So there was a Shakta tradition also, which was a part of their beliefs. Then all their you know architecture, their uh, motifs, their paintings. You have a lot of uh, this thing to uh, you know um, references to Ganpati. Then Murugan was uh, commemorated. A lot of Murugan temples, Kartikeya, uh, as Murugan in South India was also commemorated. And uh, interestingly, Kushal, the Cholas have left behind uh, tons and tons of documentation. Sometimes the same information has been left behind in mul through multiple sources, whether it was palm leaves, whether it was temple inscriptions, whether it was uh, you know coins and so on. And also other kind of uh, documents that, that we have, copper plates, the Tiruvalangadu uh, copper plates, uh, which were there. And, you know, the we, the amount of documentation is staggering because on the Bhradishwara uh, temple in Tanjavur itself, on the temple walls, we have inscriptions about some 400 Devdasis who were part of the temple rituals, who danced there, their names, their emoluments, their addresses, all of that actually inscribed there. So they've left behind so much of this. Uh, they kept their... Uh, records their their uh, you know inscriptions and their sources in both Tamil as well as Sanskrit and uh, Raja Raja and Rajendra themselves they gave a lot of grants to people who uh, spoke both these languages um, and so this fight that we now create of Tamil versus Sanskrit uh, obviously these people did not see it that way and so and also the Vedic traditions that were followed whether it was performing big uh, yagnas or sacrif sacrificial uh, fire offerings and also these uh, you know elaborate danas that they gave to different uh, temples the shodasha mahadanas and all these things they all followed a vedic kind of a uh, ritual there uh, the uh, tula bhara dana and all of this that they did 
all those as part of the the vedic tradition they uh, revered sanskrit as much as they also encouraged tamil which uh, came up at that time so in the wake of all of this if you say that that is not hindu then i don't know because uh, yeah today someone could just go and if you ask jesus christ are you a christian i'm sure he will not understand what that means because uh, he was jesus christ is not christian so so you know we can't say that till the time you know the homo sapien name was invented by some uh, westerner human beings did not exist so these names and tags were probably came in the course of our uh, journey but uh, nonetheless uh, they belong to the same faith Uh, which today is called hinduism and so they can be nothing but hindus what else will we call them we can't call the cholas muslim or christian or anything else so considering that they built temples hindu temples as we call them today they worship these deities which are uh, revered by hindus today they are obviously hindu so i really wish we'd not given so much of footage to kamal hasan but thanks to him i think the whole of india is now talking about the cholas which our ncert books hid uh, away from us by not giving us much details about the chola so now everybody on every news channel is talking at least for a couple of days on the cholas and that's a good thing especially after that movie uh, you know made the rounds and everyone is again talking about the glory of the cholas yeah it's very important and you know you raised this very interesting point so maybe we can dwell a little bit on this about who is a hindu that's a very interesting bit uh, your previous work was savarkar who quintessentially tried to define who is a hindu in his own way well, people can disagree with him but he was the first man to be very honest on a very serious level who gave it a thought and tried to work ki main main ye identity kaise karu you know that point that was raised you you actually have raised like the word hindu was not in usage by uh, for example hum log ne baad mein isko sanskritam bolna shuru kiya अर्ली वर्क्स में तो भाषा बोलते थे ना सिर्फ इट वॉज लिटरली जस्ट कॉल्ड भाषा सो अभी क्या वो संस्कृत नहीं बोलू क्या मैं उसको अभी सी कैटेगराइजेशन इज अ वेरी नेचुरल प्रोसेस दैट ह्यूमन बींग्स इन इवॉल्व टू कैटेगराइज एज एन वेन न्यू मीम्स कम अप एंड टू से that the way we look at ourselves as people टूडे वेर वी यूज हिंदुइजम एज द लार्जर रूब्रिक अंडर विच ऑल ऑफ अस आर देर राइट यू आई एंड मेनी अदर्स आर देर because we look at it today like that that doesn't mean they were i mean that's a then ke adi shankar bhi hindu nahi the well abhi ek taraf wo log bolte hai adi shankar se hinduism shuru hua if you see this uh, crazy cuckoo scholarship of some people in the far left they say adi shankar se hindu shuru hua hindu mar adi shankar also never called himself a hindu to kya wo bhi hindu nahi hue i mean i i have never understood this logic that these people present that because someone did not use the word hindu and good you pointed out it's not like the christ call himself christian he never did that yeah. <laughs> the christ must have thought he was a jew or something i don't know <laughs> yeah. yeah so so, so prophet muhammad didn't know yeah. he was a muslim so it only exactly. comes after so i mean uh, the same thing happened uh, i think even in uh, you know karnataka where we we now talking a lot about this new movie right kantara uh, which is about the coastal karnataka the tulunadu uh, tulunadu the traditions there and the daivaradhane the bhutaradhane that is done there of spirits now there is some people some people here who also say that this is also not hindu so the larger allusion 
and that's a huge controversy lot of uh, valuable time spent on hair splitting that saying ye bhi ye wo nahi hai ye nahi hai so uh, and these are adivasi mool nivasi uh, kind of uh, traditions and hinduism is like this giant which is coming and appropriating eating up and gobbling all these uh, you know uh, traditions so there uh, kushal i think the the larger narrative is according to these uh people uh hinduism only stands for the vedic and what they would like to call as a brahmanical stream of hinduism uh but that is not that is historically untrue because in the larger you know sanatan dharma embrace everyone from who followed uh, animism to shamanic uh, you know rituals to the you know the chaste uh, vedic rituals according to all our uh, you know vedic traditions and samhitas uh that that person was also part of the fold uh the panthas then the the shakta and the tantric uh, thing where the panchamakaras you had uh, mamsa madira maithunya all of those part of that which was completely different from what uh, the vedic uh, tradition stood for that was also that was devi and so that's also part of the sanatan dharma and you had all these and charvak and the whole uh, you know uh, atheist school that was also the nirishwarwadi was also part of uh, hinduism so today i think the idea is to isolate and to say only these vedic rituals and thereby that there you can play all these games right where you say brahmanical exactly. yaki and caste and this and that and first of all dismantle this entire piece of what is hinduism to one narrow sub segment and that sub segment you attack constantly saying this is brahmanical this is this has caste this has inequality this was misogynist this was anti woman anti lower caste all that and it was in a language which we now reject which is sanskrit so then the whole thing is just busted dismantling global hindutva which is hinduism for uh, the idiots who organized that so uh, it it can be dismantled this way by discrediting stripping off piece by piece come to one part and say this is also busted so now there is nothing called hinduism it's all bogus uh, it's just a group of some priests who sat and exploited others for thousands and thousands of years uh, so i think that is the larger uh, you know game plan because considering this bhuta and this you know uh, getting all these um, you know what is that called uh, uh, invoking the spirits of either gods deities or ancestors or kings and queens and all that of the past i uh, in the book i write about uh, abakka uh, of uh, ullal again from coastal karnataka and there as part of the bhuta aradhane and the yakshagana uh, forms there abakka is a is a common uh, feature in several of those performances so including in you know in my city bangalore uh, every year one of the biggest uh, you know festivals that happens is this thing called karaga where uh, the the person who who's the main performer kind of a dance like what you saw in kantara the person who leads that actually invokes on himself draupadi so draupadi comes on him and then there is a pandava there was a dharmaraja uh, temple uh, dedicated to yudhishthir and uh, all the other pandavas and this procession then with a huge Uh, you know a crown of flowers and all that this draupadi thing uh, you know the the person who invokes draupadi 
goes around in a procession and there's lots of rituals associated with that very similar to what the bhuta uh, rituals are so tomorrow someone is going to say even draupadi and the pandavas are not hindu and so you know i can't understand uh, you know where this will uh, stop but i think uh, for all of us to think uh, about what the strategy is it is exactly this how to break this uh, larger um, thing into small fragments and segments and then discredit each of that appropriate all the other things so animism shamanic rituals tantra and all these things you can take over like what happened with that kali poster and you know saying kali you know is our she stands for dalit rights lgbt rights all kinds of things so that means she is not part of the hindu fold so similarly each part you then take away and then eventually the game plan is to discredit delegitimize dehumanize and completely dismantle thereby uh, one of the oldest and the most uh, you know peaceful faiths of the world exactly and not only that i think many many writers speakers authors have said this i think the best modern way to describe what hinduism is is like it's an operating platform and on that platform multiple Uh, softwares and applications are there, and we all use it in our own way as we use the same operating platform. I mean, if people were not Hindu, like you know, I'm taking this excerpt literally from the book. You, I want to read this excerpt. It moved me so much. This particular is, uh, you know, this is in the chapter of uh, Rani Naiki Devi of Gujarat. In this, you have written to avenge the destruction of their sacred shrine. some hindus even posed as guides to lead mahmud's armies astray in the arid desert of kutch before they somehow managed their way back to gajni as minhazi siraj mentions on his demand for guides a hindu came forward and promised to lead the way when the army of islam had the, had for some time 3 days in brackets marched behind him and it became time to call a halt people went in search of water but it was nowhere found the sultan summoned the guide to his presence and asked him where water was when water where water was procurable he replied quote i have devoted my life for the sake of my deity somnath and have brought thee and thy army into this desert where no water is in order that all may perish the sultan ordered the guide to be killed who were these people if they were not hindu <laughs> Yeah. what were these people i mean i don't get it exactly and uh, like just before that kushal like, like i mentioned those 50000 people who are guarding the temple yeah they were not even the king's soldiers they were common people who were uh, and that was one reason this embraceiveness this diversity uh, and that we were not governed by one book one lot of time we we rue the fact that you know unlike um the abrahamic faiths we are not guided by one by unitariness in anything but through the journey of our uh, history if one sees and even you know in through lives of people like the ones i've covered in this book it becomes very clear that that was the blessing in disguise which kept us alive as a civilization because uh, there were so many opinions there were so many traditions what all could the invader destroy you destroy one thing 100 other things uh, spring up you destroy libraries as they did nalanda takshashila vikramshila all these universities and libraries you burn for 6 months the library burns all the manuscripts are gone any other country the entire knowledge system would have been wiped out but even today if we have things like ayurveda jyotisha astronomy all these things are still there all of our traditions were uh, uh, oral traditions 
so how many people are you going to kill uh, to ensure that the, uh, the the oral traditions are also destroyed uh, you try to destroy the temples as professor meenakshi jain in her book uh, on flight of hindu deities mentions even tangible things like deities were protected it's not that we just allowed uh, chalo aa jao and then break our temples they would have broken the outer edifice but the deity itself kept flying between territories uh, started getting submerged buried in uh, land ocean everywhere else to be resurrected later uh, the tangible things itself were protected but the intangibles uh, you know of our knowledge systems of our traditions our culture the very fact that they flowed along uh, and there were so many versions of it uh, other other countries that within 50 60 years capitulated to the might of uh, islamic conquest was because either the people there had already been you know disillusioned with the faiths that they were following or there was just one uh, thing to destroy which you know you just destroy one empire the roman empire you do something else and then that whole thing just erases it is here you know like raktabija you have multiple things mushrooming all the time what all can you uh, destroy and that is one reason our diversity has also kept us alive uh, through the march of history you know to use tech tech uh, tech language in 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 a very interesting way like uh... monotheism is like uh, modern day giant social media platforms ironically we are using one of that right now hinduism is like crypto <laughs> decentralized everybody has digital property rights to use balaji srinivasan's uh, language so very interesting concept balaji came up with for some other day but uh, the hinduism actually sounds fundamentally a lot like crypto everybody is decentralized but something ties them and that tie uh, that thing that ties them is dharma what ties all of us is dharma and and when when you are you know when when a monotheist will ask this question what is dharma then we'll have to spend so much time to explain what dharma is to them i have come to terms with this reality in my life personally that i don't over monotheist an explanation if you don't get it it's your problem it's not our problem now I, and i say this with all comfort no, nothing personal against mono, monotheists i am not a monotheist i don't need to explain it to them if they want to come and understand us they come on our terms now i have i have actually been i'm i'm mentally fed up of explaining our way to people mentally fed up it, it it's come to that extent but we go back to the book this incident actually you know rani rudrama devi of varangal hmm. so her ascent in so it was not easy right yes a lot of uh, like in the book you write the ascent of a woman to the throne was detested by several male members of the family and the nobility who became a constant thorn in rudrama's flesh all through her reign the 18th century work pratap charitra of ekam uh, ekam branath talks about uh, of her step brothers hari hara deva and murari deva constantly creating obstacles for her rudrava defeated them with the help of her loyal nayakas gonagra gonaganna reddy and recherla prasidhitya whom she had cultivated now this is fascinating that i mean why these and and i'm so happy that you have shared so many female characters and personalities in this book is i'm actually particularly proud is because it shows a how hard it was for these women 
and and how society dealt a you know a, a, a body blow to them in way, in one way but they did not take it lying down they gave it back with interest and then they won in the end so can you talk a little bit about this story can rudrama and also i mean several of the women kushal i mean one common thread that i was quite fascinated to see we spoke of ahilya bai and that was the 18th century and here was her father in law who was you know letting her uh, educating her who was allowing her to be a part of the administration who was teaching her military strategy you go back several centuries back uh, 400 years ago uh, before that you had the kakatiya uh, dynasty in the 13th century where ganpati deva uh, who was a kakatiya king since he had no uh, sons he he had rudrama as one of the daughters and since he found her to be talented or whatever at an early age he gave her complete military training and he, she was groomed to be a military warrior and a successor and she always uh, she, she dressed in the masculine she always uh, you know uh, appeared like uh, like a man and even her gender was concealed from the rest of the society till the time she came of age uh, and it would be no longer possible to hide that uh, fact of nature so the, till then this was the trick that was be, being played to ensure that all the people who were out to usurp the kingdom they uh, would not going to do that same with naiki devi go back another 200 years uh, in the 11th century here was a goa kadamba princess uh, the daughter of paramardin who again was trained in military uh, pursuits so uh, daughters uh, probably were given as much uh importance in terms of you know uh being able successors unlike the common narrative that we have that you know uh, in india there's always been a, a differential treatment between sons and uh, daughters of course the disparities in the larger population is there but uh in the the ruling classes at least lot of these women had this common thread that uh, their fathers and fathers in law also actually allowed them to be a part of this uh, you know um, the, the the administration of the state itself and same continues all the way up to the 18th century after ahilya bai even velunachiar uh, from tamil nadu whose father uh, who was the uh, king of uh, the 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 chieftain of ramnath ramnathpuram or ramnad he also taught her everything you know fencing sword fighting and everything and these became such brave women as a result of this so this was also a common you know thread especially in the lives of the women uh, who came up in this chand bibi uh, of ahmednagar similarly uh, you know in the 16th century again somebody who was uh, who was allowed to be a part of conquest by her father so so i think this is a very interesting trend that accidentally came out while uh, you know plotting out these people's lives and you know uh, the fascinating bit is that it, it, the history historical records talk about their struggles also it's not like they're trying to hide it or anything i mean otherwise how would you have also known in your researches because the historical records are quite clear about it so before i start taking all the viewers questions vikram one one last question maybe and then i'll start with all the other uh, audience questions is that what was the one if i was to ask you your everlasting memory while you wrote this book like what stood out for you like what was special for you in this process 
वेल द यू नो कुशल आई थिंक दस्टेंटली मैं टाइम्स दैट वीव ऑलवेज बीन मेड टू फील एज एन इन्फीरियर रेस दैट वी हैव ऑलवेज यू नो कवर्ड इन फ्रंट ऑफ आउटसाइडर्स वीव बीन इन्वेडेड ऑफकोर्स वी वर डिफीटेड एंड दैट हैपन्स इन द साइकिल ऑफ एनी कंट्री और सिविलाइजेशन बट द फैक्ट दैट there were these success stories in different parts there were pockets of india which uh, remained virgin territory unoccupied by anybody who came from anywhere uh, the fact that these became the citadels of uh, emergence or resurgence of civilizational glory uh, whether it was northeast parts of uh, southern india parts of uh, you know western india incidentally all those places which get ignored in our historical narrative were the ones which actually maintained uh, you know that fight and also uh, succeeded in it i think that was uh, something that was very illuminative uh, for me uh, we knew of it somewhere but then to actually look at it the way it panned out i think that was a huge uh, something that uh, would stay on with me as to and this probably needs much more detailed digging beyond just these 15 people or whatever uh, if one actually maps out the history of india itself with special emphasis on this aspect uh, i think a very very different uh, narrative to what we call as a history of india itself might emerge yeah i i agree with you in fact uh, the feeling that i had after finishing the book was that the story of india is the story of hindu resistance now we can talk about how good or bad or effective the resistance was in certain pockets like in clearly with the change in technology and warfare which is something that you know your friend and mine abhijit ayer you know he has always spoken that the problem with india was i think beyond a point technology mein hum log thode piche ho gaye in terms of arms and ammunition and that and even military strategic formations and how we fight the enemy which is obviously not the topic of today but the point is that one when we look at the spirit of india many questions should arise from this that why did these guys keep on fighting what was the one thing that tied them or made them fight and what were the reason like you you read tripur's work and you clearly see you know at times uh, there were individual kingdoms in india that sided with the british also or with the mughals also but what were the reasons there were the relig- uh, reasons religious can anybody prove any religious connection or these were purely administrative decisions like in the case of the rajput maratha conflicts the, you know the marathas they started taxing and the rajputs did not like it and the rajputs were like yaar ye to bahut zyada tax laga raha hai main main udhar ja raha hu kind of a thing these were very real political uh, you know real politic uh, affected decisions and and these need to be had an open discussion of obviously social media pe ye kuch nahi ho sakta kyunki that is a shit show but maybe you know future scholars need to look at this side of india and unfortunately as you rightly said indian scholarship is is today as such a, has had such a stranglehold of the left that that even truth seeking is kind of taboo now and i mean i'd want to know why certain kings lost were they strategically that bad i mean why can't i ask this question and you know it it has to be beyond because they were hindu i mean that's a stupid answer which these people want us to believe so maybe you know uh, maybe we'll find out but now i'll start asking you questions so 
लेट्स गो टू द ऑडियंस क्वेश्चन सबसे पहला क्वेश्चन है विक्रम सर टीपू सुल्तान जी की बायोग्राफी कब आएगी अरे इन द वर्क्स होपफुली एक डेढ़ साल में आ जाएगी बिकॉज आई थिंक वहां पे आई वॉन्ट टू बी डबली ट्रिपली श्योर बिकॉज यू नो ऑल द फैक्ट ऑल द डॉक्यूमेंट्स ऑल द रेफरेंसेज दिब्लियोग्राफी नीड्स टू बी इन ऑर्डर अगर माई head remains uh, should remain where it is so because of the <laughs> because of the importance that this man has been made into so it would take time rather than do something in haste and regret in leisure i think it's better to do a full proof job and then set it out so maybe a year year and a half i hope uh, earlier than that uh, to bring that out well, knowing you, you 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 will take a year and a half because you're a typical nerd who goes through everything so i know it's going to take that much time <laughs> so acha this is from um, so this is saying this question is coming from a hindustani musician who loved your work vikram ji are any other musician that you find interesting to research after gohar jaan and s balachandar <laughs> well uh, thank you for that question that's again a parallel interest which uh, all the time lives we've come out with uh, so uh, grammy award winning musician ricky cage and i uh, we brought out another book earlier this year no it was last year towards the end of last year called women of the records so uh, where you know interestingly when recording technology came to india in 1902 uh, all over india north south east west it was interestingly women who adapted to this technology the men folk just stayed away from it uh, they boycotted this and all kinds of superstitions did the rounds that if you record your voice then you you know the gods will be displeased and you uh, you will lose your singing voice and all that but these women who largely belong to the tawaif and the devdasi communities of uh, india they were the ones who took uh, the lead so this book women of the record uh, which uh, talks about these people uh, goharjan was of course the pioneering lady in that but there were several others janki bai of alhabad zohra bai agrewali malka jan of agra bai sundra bai of pune achhan bai of bombay bangalore nagratnamma coimbatore tai selam godavari noti binodini from calcutta dhanakoti ammal of kanchipuram coimbatore tai all these you know fascinating women again uh, whose stories whose names also have been obliterated even in mainstream uh, classical music today uh, so this book uh, you know chronicles little bits and pieces of their life fragments that we could put together and also comes with a cd uh, as some of uh, your viewers may know kushal i've also established this archive of indian music yeah. uh, which is probably india's first digital sound archive uh, online digital sound archive for vintage gramophone records going back to 1902 which we rescue from chor bazaars and raddi shops and actually digitize that and people can hear these free of cost on soundcloud on soundcloud if you type archive of indian music about 3000 tracks are there for you to hear but real high end digital transfers we got done uh, ricky cage and i uh, with the help of another grammy award uh, winning sound engineer in the us called michael graves so the book comes with a cd uh, of all these voices going back to 1902 including the first ever recording that ms subalakshmi did as uh, a 9 wow. year old uh, <laughs> you know kid Uh, in 1926 2526 so that to be uh, that was a record that i had rescued from 
chor bazaar in moor market in chennai and so on these these uh, so this book may be of interest to those who have uh, gender studies and music and all of this as a area of interest to pick up and read did vikram weigh emic versus etic accounts of the personalities differently often there's a thin line between fact and legend when it comes to great people how do we separate them when there's scarce material i think this is more like a i guess a technical question yeah so so like the example i gave including of lalita aditya so the the fanciful the record the actual record the uh, though kalhana wrote the rajatarangini on the the history of kashmir rulers in the 13th century several decades after i mean centuries after even the karkotas had uh, disappeared uh, but there's so much of hyperbole maybe to ingratiate himself to the existing ruler of kashmir then to say ours was the greatest kingdom but uh, a modern scholar needs to sift through that uh, hyperbole and actually see what which of it is actually true is there a counter um, you know narrative are there if if the uh, kalhana is saying that lalita aditya conquered sri lanka or karnataka and tamil nadu and all that are there counter evidences in those places to show what uh, kalhana is writing is indeed true so this uh, uh, triangulation cross verification of facts i think is important even when it comes to uh, the early periods or the middle ages or whatever that we're uh, talking about fair enough the next question is are there any inscription indian inscriptions or writings documenting beliefs of pre 691 ad arabs who attempted conquest in india there is a strong hypothesis that islam as a religion wasn't formed until 691 ad not to sure of i don't think there is any as as far as i know maybe there's some other scholar who can who might have worked specifically on that time or era or that uh, subject to shed more light on that fair enough fair enough okay so the next question is vikram sir how significant is adi shankara and 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 how significant are his contributions in uniting and creating a common religio cultural entity that we now call bharat i mean have you studied the life and uh, journey of adi shankara in that sense uh, vikram well not com- not entirely kushal but of course even i make a mention of him even in this book mm-hmm. where you know uh, interestingly all these rulers you know lalita aditya rajendra chola rajaraja chola they, they all went on digvijaya campaigns uh, go on with that you know right from the early times when you had this ashwamedha and all that you leave the horse and where all that horse goes that becomes your land and anyone uh, opposes you you capture you Uh, defeat that person in conquest and take over that land so digvijaya campaigns even of lalita aditya and all these people were there but interestingly in india digvijaya was not only political conquest adi shankara also went on a digvijaya he was not a political ruler of any sorts uh, from a small little uh, uh, you know town in uh, the southernmost part of india in kerala uh, he could have just been there written whatever he wrote there become a sanyasi sadhu which he became uh, composed all his you know magnificent works that he did in such a short span of uh, his life and you know passed on but he didn't do that he went on a digvijaya and that was the common trend that digvijaya when we when the indic 
mind thought of conquest it was not just political conquest but also intellectually can you uh, you know uh, debate uh, with people with an opposite viewpoint and bring them over to your uh, you know uh, thought process so that famous uh, debate between him and mandan mishra where uh, the two of them have this vaad uh, vivad for several uh, you know days months and so on where adi shankara also has to then uh, do leave his body and uh, occupy the uh, body of a king and so to as to experience uh, you know the grahastashrama that he never did all of this the the digvijaya was very much a part of uh, you know uh, spreading your intellectual might also in the country which he did uh, so that's how the advaita philosophy spread throughout the length and breadth of bharatvarsh and most importantly and there was no need for him to establish his uh, you know the the muts in the four cardinal directions of this landmass people say india never existed there's nothing called india and all of that so he could have just remained maybe in south india if this whole dravidian thing that south was what was uh, more important and all of that that we say here was a man who came from the south he could have just restricted himself to the southern part of india but he didn't do that the southern uh, thing also was not in his so called you know home state of uh, in kerala which of course was not so called but in shringeri in karnataka today and then he goes to east west whether it's dwarka puri and then uh, you know badrinath in the north so the four uh, things that he established there and the final sarvagnya peet that he established in kashmir uh, which was the epicenter of our uh, you know indic knowledge indic uh, you know uh, faith our uh, systems of learning all of that was there and the presiding deity was sharada goddess sharada and the script that they had was also sharada so kashmir's importance in the indic imagination was so uh, immense that that is why he went and uh, you know established it there the sharada peet uh and in doing this this common sphere of cultural circulation that he created across uh this entire landmass that gave the geography uh of what india was uh, to all those who say india was created only by the british or uh you know the the, the moguls and all these things uh, what was this activity of a common man he was not a ruler uh, the rulers may have done what they did Uh, but a common person who was a philosopher who was a scholar he created this thread of uh, you know uh, circulation which united all of us and all our uh, you know pilgrimages kushal if we see uh, you know uh, the 51 shakti peethas why are they scattered across the length and breadth of india why are all the jyotirlingas the 12 jyotirlingas everything could be in one place if shiva was in kailash in and around that you know you could have had all of them but they are also scattered across the length and breadth the seven puris uh, uh, which are uh, you know kashi ayodhya mathura kanchi uh, haridwar all of these uh, you know dwarka badrinath they also uh, you know are scattered across north south east west uh, and as told in the garud puran similarly so all these places the 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 scattering of our sacred spaces to make this entire land uh, you know uh, sacred was also i think a very interesting uh, concept of our ancestors uh, to prevent any kind of parochialism if i felt you know that my part of the country is great there were 100 others which were as great or greater 
so uh, you know if i was a devi upasak and i thought you know kamakhya is the place there was something else where sati's eyes fell sati's uh, nose ring fell something else somewhere else fell, fell where you know everything was as important as where the yoni fell so i think this way and then our rivers being sacred our uh, forests our mountains so it was a great effort to combine faith with environmental consciousness with uh, also you know a sense of patriotism and sacred geography that came about and culturally unify us as a civilization and so political boundaries can keep changing all the time uh, you know what india was in uh, pre 1947 it is not what it is now and so uh, those things in the history of every nation that keeps changing dynamically but the the essence the ethos i think that remains the same and that is what i think our ancestors had a very very clear vision of when they conceptualized this and shankaracharya was one of them who did this uh, successfully by uh, uniting all of them and a queen also did that like an ahilya bai holkar who also understood what were the important civilizational markers what all should i renovate what all should i reconstruct she had a very clear thought and vision uh, as to what she had to do and i think that is how uh, all these places were tied together into one common thread of uh, faith civilization uh, culture whatever you may call it exactly and that is where it's funny a viewer has made a comment that if the cholas were not hindu then mahatma gandhi was not a congressy because he doesn't hold congress party membership i mean <laughs> i mean what do we say to that but yeah i you know just to add to that this is what people need to realize when categorizations and understanding different cultures i thought you know the whole prospect or the or the whole project about understanding each other was steel manning not strawmanning mm. the other side and what has unfortunately happened like look at the word games that are played vikram and maybe this could be our passing uh, comment and then we can wrap up today's discussion because we are already an hour and 15 minutes in but you know the word anytime some sometimes anything bad has to be shown in the past then hinduism becomes an ancient religion mm. otherwise hinduism is a modern creation which was started nascently at the time of adi shankara and then literally the new hinduism hypothesis that starts with swami vivekananda and all these other people who start new hinduism so so it depends on what it suits them uh, yoga is not hindu theek hai kyunki that is too good to be hindu are aise thoda na hota hai hindu mein kuch acha ho hi nahi sakta then meditation is not hindu wo to buddhist ne diya tha hindu to kuch kar nahi rahe the अच्छा कास्ट इज यूनिकली हिंदू अगर अभी अभी मेरे जैसा आदमी मैं उठा के बुद्धिस्ट स्क्रिप्चर्स पढ़ना शुरू कर दूंगा तो लोगों को मिर्चे लग जाएंगी कि क्या हो रहा था लाइक टू बी वेरी ऑनेस्ट दीजोरिकल एंटी कास्ट मूवमेंट इन इंडिया वन द भक्ति मूवमेंट नथिंग एल्स I am being very, very categorical here in my view. If you want to talk about anti-casteism, no, the British were not anti-caste. it was we who fought against all these things it was our reformers who fought against all these things and it starts all the way from the bhakti movement which was its own unique way of dealing with our own societal problems you know when we found discrimination we did not say i am leaving screw religion dump everything we will start our own thing that was our way and our own unique way of doing things and unfortunately in this entire debate in india somewhere deep down i i don't know if any society has had so many bad scholars in one place 
as india has managed to do and i don't know what to do about it and you know people like you vikram and i say this not uh, you know i'll say this behind the back also and this is why i cherish people like you because at least koi to hai jo sach sach ki taraf leke ja raha hai humko and it doesn't matter if the truth sometimes shows us in a bad light it's not like you know in your book you clearly show the struggles these women went through when they took the throne and and the problems they had to face um, you did not shy away from stating stories like there were 10 queens no to sati ho gayi na i mean you no to hui tha wo ek ke bare mein wo rok rahe the unko wo no ko nahi rok rahe the magar the point is that you did not shy away from sharing the facts and and you know for me before we wrap today's discussion up once again on behalf of everyone man thanks for what you do seriously i, I don't know uh, how how people are going to be uh, be informed in this uh, day and age of so much misinformation from all sides but you know you you are a you know a silver lining in this entire shit show of information so so once again man thanks for what you do and keep doing this thank you thank you kushal despite all the uh, court cases the allegations the <laughs> the shit storm that happens i think that gives a lot more power that you know uh, uh, the 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 other side uh, if we could call that one uh, if when they attack you uh, that shows that your work is at some point making them nervous or actually shaking their foundations of lies because uh, that side is very much known to ignore people whom they consider unimportant and they do it the royal ignoring that they do uh, like it's happened in the past they do that uh, quite a lot so the more you know someone goes behind you you and tries to discredit you i think somewhere it gives you a little bit of satisfaction though it's a lot of uh, stress to take otherwise but there is some satisfaction that maybe you know in small ways uh, you're probably pushing the needle uh, ahead and of course there'll be it's a it's a bigger movement where lots more people need to i think join if we actually have to move ahead significantly yeah man I, I, and it- you know we move ahead significantly not only to by reading and and this is my message to every single viewer i i tend to do a lot of big book reviews is because i want to cultivate a culture of reading and when i say reading not just you know read vikram's book read variety of books challenge yourself mentally like to me i read savarkar's biography uh, i forgot the name of the common communist author who had a marxist who had written savarkar's biography it that is one of the famous ones and then dhananjay keer uh, was there and then i read vikram's one i have read all three for the record and again this is not because vikram is my friend or something i think vikram's is the best because vikram just said what savarkar said you know the other biographies were like but i think this is happening are mujhe nahi lena dena hai ki aap kya soch rahe ho मुझे ये जानना है कि सावरकर क्या सोच रहा है एंड दिस इज वाई आई एंजॉयड विक्रम वर्क बिकॉज विक्रम वॉज जस्ट एटिंग इट अगेन इन दिस बुक इट इज द सेम थिंग ऑल दिस बुक इज इट टेक्स एक्सर्ब एंड कैरेक्टर्स फ्रॉम इंडियन हिस्ट्री फिफ्टीन नाउ यू कैन से ये क्यों नहीं अरे भाई पंद्रह सिलेक्ट करने थे तो किए हैं अभी ये पंद्रह को तो पढ़ लो ना अगर आपको और जानने तो और कोई आप लिख लेना मगर तो पॉइंट इज लर्न हाउ विक्रम राइट रीड स्टडी हिज स्टाइल चेक हाउ ही presents the bibliography see how precise it is you can learn many things and you you should support good work which is why i say buy books especially vikram's books if you have not bought savarkar not just this one 
the Savarkar ones, you're missing out on something. That book freaking blew my mind. I have quoted Vikram's book at least 20 times on my podcast in random podcasts where I just pull up the book and I just read, Are Savarkar ne ye bola tha. Kind of a thing. It's that that's how useful it has been for me. So once again, guys, please buy this book. In the description of the podcast, you'll see the link to buy the book. Follow Vikram. And also, I did not know about this uh, musical thing, uh, the, the, the CD. So I would recommend uh, everyone to go and check that out also. I also did not know this. The first thing I'm going to go is uh, go to SoundCloud and uh, check out the archive of music too. But Vikram, once again, buddy, thanks a lot for coming. And I can't wait to talk to you again on the podcast and looking forward to reading your next book too. Thank you so much, Kushal. I think among all the interviews that I've always done, uh, and lest this start be begins to sound like some mutual admiration club, I must mention this in all honesty, that I don't think any interviewer, any reviewer actually reads the book. It's just the prologue that most people read. And then some fanciful questions, they see the contents, make some questions which are but obvious. Anyone with little common sense can uh, create questions. But you actually go into every chapter, you note down things, you actually ask the right questions. And that's a delight for anybody to be interviewed by you. So it's always such a pleasure to be on your podcast because you also challenge me so many times by asking me questions which I might not have actually thought of uh, even while writing it. It may have skipped my mind. So, uh, so thank you too for what you do. And uh, I think everyone should support his podcast too as the uh, link is coming at the bottom of the uh, you know the screen so i hope you have many more shows and many more interesting guests whom you can bring and enlighten uh, all of us with what you do thanks man thanks sir all right guys we'll wrap today's discussion up once again buy the book follow vikram on twitter if you like what i'm doing over here subscribe to the charvak podcast youtube channel like this video leave a comment over there or become a member on youtube patreon or buy the merch or send your donations through upi i will see you guys again with another podcast until then namaste take care bye bye